Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. everyone and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today we go back on the usual topic of cloud that we haven't touched a little bit. We went on the uh, a little bit down the drain of application security and vulnerability management in the past episode. But today I'd like to, to go back uh, talking a little bit of cloud, cloud transformation. And I have um, as my guest the CTO of AWS Business for ADOS Cloud Reach. Um, Kevin with me. Uh, Kevin, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell a little bit about your story. How did you end up in your role? How did you end up doing cloud and cloud security? Uh, Cloud and cloud security. Um, A long, kind of a long story, but um, the short of it is um, around the 2010 timeframe, I was in the right place at the right time with the right company and um, got the opportunity to adopt cloud and lead a transformation when it was by most um, enterprises very early on in the cloud adoption cycle. Right. And um, and then in 2015, moved myself into more of an um, advisor role um, in consultancy and just grew my career from there as opportunities came to me and uh, eventually ended up in this uh, CTO seat. Um, I still love the customer face of it all, though, and that's really where my passion is and uh, continue to to work with customers and, and what the core of their problems are or challenges are um, as they adopt cloud. Brilliant, and welcome to the show. In, in your history of you know, evolution, you've probably seen uh, digital transformation come into life. What are, if you want, the common, um, the common pitfall that organizations do when transforming, uh, when transforming or maybe making their baby step into the cloud? Is there a baby step into the cloud? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully um, it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, you, we see a lot of, a lot of folks will often start with like a non-prod workload and kind of work their way into an understanding. Um, But those, the pitfalls really come from lack of an understanding of uh, the the governance aspect of putting your workloads in the cloud, right? Like getting workloads into the cloud, it's just work, right? It's just turning the wrench. Mm -hmm. There's, um, it, it's all very doable, you know, very few workloads um, 
kind of meet a criteria that says that it couldn't live in the cloud. Um, now, how Did optimized and shift. <laughs> right, right. Like how optimized that is uh, once it's there is is kind of that next phase. Really, where over the years, um, you know, my favorite motion for getting folks into the cloud was always to adopt adopt as fully as possible. Right, you you would implement um, full full features of cloud as you move them into the cloud, uh, but as scale and, and realities of speed and, and uh, acceleration of some of those adoptions have come to, to be, um, we've really moved more towards a, um, a strategy where we say, just move, just, just lift and shift and get it there. Um, get past that scenario where you have data in one place and the other place and you have to deal with <laughs> You know, is my data in the still in the data center, or is it now in the cloud? And you know, how one, how do I secure that communication, and how expensive is that? And then once I have through all of that, like what are the risks right. that all of that then generates for both reliability and security and every other uh, uh, operational aspect of, of managing those those workloads. So just get what you're moving, get it there, and then start working towards your optimization goals. Because mm-hmm. um, you can work through that optimization in a very iterative form once you're there. Whereas right. if you try to do it during the move, you ended up introducing a lot of um, kind of big bang events as you're doing it. Um, and just just our experience has been to this point, when we do that, migrations tend to elongate Um, whereas if we just move with that lift and shift first mentality so if you're going to move forward at that accelerated pace though you're going to be adopting at least initially fewer of those fully managed services where things included uh, aspects including security aspects are a part of the fully managed platform. Mm-hmm. So more of the shared responsibility model is going to be controlled by you. So you really need to have a, a solid plan for um, what your landing zone is going to look like. Um, you know, and don't, don't have a, a super, uh, I, I think one of the things I see people do a lot is think that they again are like a butterfly or, or they're a unicorn and that their networking problems are different than everyone else's networking problems. So, <laughs> right. They, so they land with a landing zone that looks wildly different than the standards that a lot of other people in their industries are just using. Right. Um, so use it as an opportunity to simplify things, get and, and get into place with a landing zone that's very standardized, um, that config is very tightly controlled in. Um, and then look, uh, have a, a, a better entry point, it's a real opportunity for things like patching and upgrading um, and the automation that those new platforms then bring to even your legacy systems so that you can uh, raise, your, raise your standard for where your, uh, your, your security footing is 
um, as you just make that initial adoption into the cloud. Right. And don't you see maybe lift and shift versus the initial approach? Don't you see cloud transformation to be an opportunity also to drop a lot of the technology debt or mistake that you've done before uh, or <laughs> compromises rather than mistake that you've done before and you know once once it's live don't touch it once yeah. once it works don't touch it so it's, it's really difficult to to then do iteratively later on certain changes because you need to justify the cost well if you do that during a transformation you kind of have a chance to change things but then, as you, as you rightfully say, it, it can delay potentially things. So what is what is the pros and cons, maybe? Yeah, the pros and cons. I mean, there's, there's trades off. There's a trade-off for everything. And time and technology, it seems like time is usually the trade-off we always see. If you're wanting to lock down your uh, software development lifecycle so that you're catching security early on, it usually means that you're going to have to slow. It's not a drastic a drastic reduction in speed, but you're going to have to slow down your your uh, feature cycle a little bit in order to accommodate mm -hmm. that. Um, likewise, with with this type of a change, as you make a, for instance, a lift and shift, um, I call it the barnacles on the ship. Right, you've you've been running these instances, these these VMs, in in your data center for 15 years now, and you know multiple multiple. Um, Windows operating system upgrades or Linux operating system upgrades over the years. And now you've gotten it to this place where you've got uh, agents that are running from <laughs> different, uh, different systems and operational systems that you have that, that you're required to run um, endpoint security uh, that has likely changed a couple of times over the years and probably mm -hmm. weren't, weren't, uh, you know, especially in Windows systems, right? We we know that once something touches a registry, it probably didn't completely remove itself, if, even if you went and changed it. Um, so yeah, the, I call them barnacles on the ship, right? So it is an opportunity if you, even if you just do the minimum of, hey, let's just reinstall the application on a fresh mm -hmm. OS in the cloud, and let's go with that. Um, yeah, it's going to introduce some some time. Uh, it's going to you're not making you're not making large changes right? you're you're not making changes to technology you're just um, you're just making a, a refresh along the way and there's ways to do some things that can kind of automate some of that activity we've we've achieved some of that stuff um, some of that level of automation um, to kind of speed it up from time to time so a lot of possibility a lot of a lot of opportunity there to get fresh, more performant, um, cleaner systems mm -hmm. um, that are a little a little easier to uh, to manage and control on the other side. Brilliant. And on, on, on that topic, maybe, how do you, or what was your experience by, by looking at things and how organizations have changed from traditional security posture, that is the traditional firewall endpoint, the traditional connection, the traditional networking structure in, in something that is more software-defined, that is so variable? And how do you take those security traditional security folks along the journey to actually mature and, and transform their mindset? 
Yeah, so it has changed um, a great deal, mostly because of the capabilities of the platforms we're moving to, um, the level of automation, the um, just think about the things, the, the aspects that you get just from um, the unified platform aspect of what you're consuming. Mm -hmm. uh, when you go into a, a cloud vendor, uh, any of the cloud vendors, that's true of all of them. Um, and then there's additional tools because it's all API driven, right? Like then there's additional tools that you can then add to that, <laughs> that, that then, uh, you know, make you feel even better about your scenario, provide the level of visibility, right? Uh, I think observability is one of the things about these cloud platforms that they're introducing to us that we've, never really experienced that level of observability right. end to end with anything we've ever built. Um, that versus, I remember, I'm going to go way in the way back machine now, <laughs> um, way back as an engineer at a, a managed services provider, 2000, probably 2002. Um, I remember installing state-of-the-art first time we had ever seen any of them idp device um, wow. connected to a, a net screen um, firewall device that was that were in these customers and doing rollouts with that stuff was you know it's mind-blowing right all of a sudden you're doing layer seven packet inspection on things that are coming um, again at the edge of the network um but we can do so much. If we can do that right now, you take those days, but we thought that that was amazing security. Um, but we really have never solved for what happens on inside of, of that castle, right? Like we built this nice wall around the castle, but what happens inside of it? Well, it, it's still a bit of a free for all. Um, and, and we've, seen that you know even when you do things uh, other network tricks that we've developed over the years of uh, building uh, be better network systems and more um, building siloed aspects of network systems in a very complex um, subnetting system for instance and that type of thing right um, and some of the switches that came along made it even even more, you know, we could do even more um, separation of uh, of networks and and uh, provide that level of security. But as soon as you go from there into valid applications, again, you know, it's, it's traffic, it's valid traffic going back and forth, and we can again expose. So what we get when we when we move is pretty dramatically different, uh, depending on how you architect everything. Um, so a little bit in the weeds, like if we go, if we took, uh, an organization that had multiple business units, we can now truly separate those things, uh, even all the way down to an account level, uh, of our, our cloud providers account. Um, so every one of them can have their own accounts. The networks can still speak with each other, but we can truly separate these these entities. And uh, even at their even at data where there where these three business units potentially share data, mm -hmm. even in a um, uh, where they have their data all in a in a collective 
Data Lake, we can now uh, start to apply row level um, governance for uh, the, the security aspects of that. So one for those that might not fully understand that, right? Um, some advantages of things you might be able to do, like uh, you, you might have data that's in a, in a single data source. And when business unit A searches the data source with the same query that business unit B is using, they get a different data set back based right. on the policies of what their row level policies of what uh, they're allowed to see and what they're not allowed to see, which uh, especially in international businesses where I've seen it mostly come into play when hey, uh, North America folks aren't allowed to see things that, uh, you know, like user PII type data that uh, is specific to European uh, European customers. So, um, yeah, there, there's a lot of capability there to then start to separate these things and um, at, at every tier, not just the network tier, right? Mm -hmm. Really get into uh, tr truly a zero trust environment where we can apply that. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix Platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. And I think that's that's a big paradigm shift when physical physical was the only way to separate business unit, as you say, pieces of network or organization and segment them truly well. And and there was a physical effort or uh, a networking heavy lifting effort. Well, in the cloud is is scriptable. It's the change is much faster. You can iterate potentially later on also with that comes pitfall right it, it comes new security challenge where things that you rely or that couldn't be touched by anybody other than your security team or specific user now can be yeah. modified under the hood without authorization so the authorization authentication who can modify what has changed dramatically. So how do you bring the security folks along that journey where everything has changed and shifted and you see more attack patterns as well on cloud environments rather than the traditional attack pattern that you see on on premises? Yeah, uh, the culture change for the entire organization, right? Like it's not just, mm -hmm. it's not even just the security folks. Um, Specifically for the security teams, we do see the tool the tool sets are changing, so they have to they have to adopt this change from the point and click world, or um, you know where they're just defining a policy and applying it in uh, a pretty closed set of 
um, tools that they've historically grown. Mm -hmm. Most of them have grown their entire career uh, around that tool theme, that tool set, that and uh, uh, the the vendors that uh, that they've that they've adopted over those years and grown their. Uh, they all have those certifications specifically in those. Um, so moving from that into more of an open world where right. developing, they have to break out the, and, and developer tools, right? It's not even just the, just the fact that you, it's now not just writing a script. It's, it's developing um, infrastructure as code, for instance. Um, but then committing that code and, and the, code commitment uh, like Git or, or, you know, something or SVN or those types of tools that might be foreign to some, um, at least at an execution level, right? So they're really having to adopt all these aspects of um, these new tools and then applying them. They also find the advantage, right? Like, mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the advantages that change can then be introduced and you have an instant log of everything that's been changed um, and it starts to reduce that risk and when you're preparing for audits it's suddenly very simple like these are all the changes that have been made it's all in our change log here it is you can see it all right versus spending ITSM, spending hours in your ITSM uh, uh, system, entering your, your change requests and going through the, the right. process of getting that change request put into play, um, oftentimes by members of boards that honestly have very little context to the application, the actual application needs of what they're approving, mm. right? And then, then, you know, really... I call it like uh, reducing the circle of approval, right? Like you used to have this really big circle of approval because, well, everything was connected. And if I make this one change here, um, it has rippling effects across the network. Um, and you know, I've seen folks reboot switches and take entire systems down, broad systems down that take, you know, half a day to really get everything back up. Just, you know, poorly... Yeah. Poorly architected systems, but they exist. <laughs> you, you can know, so, do it now with, with a piece of code, not with, uh, with a piece right. Of now code. you do it with a piece of code that also you can roll back, right? Like oh, like that that didn't mean that. Um, and oftentimes you're when you adopt these systems like this, you're also pushing it through the software development lifecycle, the same as tested code goes. So if I'm making um, if I'm making change to network in in a uh, VPC virtual private cloud, um, I can do that in non-prod environments that are exactly as uh, software defined as the prod environments. We can right. test them. We can test them with real systems sitting on it, and then uh, execute that code against the production. Um, you know, if I'm and doing it right, even. So now yeah, as a yeah. developer, you can open code, you can you can touch pieces of network that you maybe couldn't touch. So the whole paradigm shift around what are you permitted to do is not anymore fixed. 
by the old and traditional rules and gates, but there needs to be a paradigm shift on how do you interpret who can do what where, right? And how do you yeah. bring the security folks into that journey and also the pitfall that, that can that journey can can introduce, like um, the danger of opening S3 bucket or or having poorly configured access control rules or poorly config or widely configured um, account administrator or, or things like that. Yeah, the that's I think that's where it gets really powerful because you can you can now distribute the action, right? I no longer does the security team need to in a silo own the responsibility for making the changes for an application team. Mm-hmm. So what what we can do is utilizing the uh, software development lifecycle, we can say, okay, you can make the change. You can open that S3 bucket if that's required. As soon as you do it in a non-prod environment, my security team is going to get alerted to it. And we're going to, it gives us an opportunity to say, okay, why is this happening? And, and run a proper governance check to make sure that, it's one is done appropriately and two the data that's in there and we've siloed the data to make sure that we never get the wrong data into that, that bucket. Right. So, um, again, like the level of transparency then goes way up. Right. Um, but you, you also don't have to have a massive security team, um, in order to govern at that level, um, because you can distribute the action, out to all of those teams in the, that, that are taking advantage of that consolidated technology stack. Right, but you also need to, it doesn't happen automatically that you impose or, con, or, or configure the, yeah. if you're on the cloud environment in, a, in an appropriate way, there are a lot of other pitfalls that can not only pop up, but um, they can be inherited and uh, there must be an there could be an oversight, and as you you mentioned, landing zone, the AWS uh, security defaults, and so on and so forth are, if you want making things easier for a lot of security folks to get started in the cloud. But application security and cloud security professionals are still the most sought out people <laughs> to That's hire. True. So there aren't a lot of <laughs> us folks out there, and. And there have been during COVID a lot of transformation. So how do we enable more people to actually get, get ahead of this with, you know, as you said, you know, landing zone, standardized landing zone or template or things like that um, have put the change or have simplified a lot of these transformation with security defaults. Yeah, we need more standardization across the industry. Um, you know, that's, I've talked about this in the past around DevOps folks, right? Like you know, DevOps is one of the most in-demand, just like cybersecurity is one of the most in-demand job titles in, um, in the industry. Um, I think we're at this point, though, that there's just not, there's never going to be enough. Um, so, you know, how do we, in a business sense, handle that and 
um, and address it uh, in a way that's going to allow us to build these things successfully. Um, so standardization is then represents the opportunity for automation. Um, you know, I, I kind of see the the rise of uh, no code platforms mm-hmm. um, in part because or, or low code um, in part because it standardizes that entire DevOps stack that's underneath all of that. Right. right? So it standardizes and automates it. So, so the, the, there's sure there's, there's less customization. Um, but how many of the businesses that we run out there need that level of standardization uh, or sorry, that, that level of, customization. Um, of customization, right? Um, there are certain, they certainly exist, but they're far fewer than currently have a lot of customization. So there's a massive amount of opportunity there. Um, and through that standardization, we'll get that opportunity to further um, standardize security aspects of this DevSecOps um, from from the entirety of that chain, uh, the logistics chain for uh, for the applications or, or the uh, business businesses that we run and the workloads that run them. Right. And maybe after the transformation, what do you see to be the most, from a security perspective, the most challenging aspect of cloud um, running at scale? So once once the transformation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, I I love it. Like it's, it's always people. It's always config, right? Like, after my first adoption in 2011 or 12 timeframe, I remember telling my SVP at the time, um, cause we didn't have any one person in our team that was just dedicated to security. Uh, we were kind of trying to justify that head. And I remember telling her that like, I can, we can show everyone um, and we had our NIST score, like we, we did our NIST score, like it, it was mm-hmm. all green. Like we were, I think we had one yellow and it had something to do with, you know, not, not communication, pro, not communicating some process appropriately. Right? right. So across the board, we were green where it mattered. And still like there was this underlying threat that, well, yeah, but we have 15 or 20 people that are DevOps people in our own team that could make a mistake. Right. Um, compliance is not security. Let's let's exactly, exactly. On the <laughs> so, so you know, what do we do, and how do we how do we assure ourselves that that config at any level doesn't get out? And um, I mean, the, the the stats show it at this point. Every, and you know, every high, every incident that we've seen that had the largest impacts on businesses. Um, have been a misconfiguration of some form that a customer had. I've got, you know, I've had customers um, uh, with NoSQL databases that get exposed, right? And and they're known, they're known, people are just sitting out there waiting, right? So (laughs) uh, to to lock them and, and, uh, and once they're encrypted, you're done, right? Um, You know, so then, same customers are coming attackers. back going, okay, we've got to do a better ba- better backup job, right? <laughs> and and I um, have learned automation as much as uh, cloud. Oh, yeah, function. absolutely, right? And, you know, that 
if we get into like what's the future, like I think that's where we're going. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you're you're looking at scenarios where like a customer had like one of the core architectures that we use is we put data in what we call a data sub a, a data subnet in the VPC. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's even less accessible uh, where the data sits than even the application itself, which also isn't exposed to the internet. So we once, you know, but a customer along the way somewhere, like they messed up their configuration and uh, dropped a a connection in from outside um, for a convenience factor uh, during an admin task, didn't close it off. You know, and two days later, their stuff's completely locked. Um, and, you know, they're being ransomed. And, you know, what do you do there? You got to either pay the ransom or you have a backup. They had pretty good backups. They were able to do that without paying the ransom, et cetera. But um, it was a scare for them. And I've had that happen to more than one customer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always now like the biggest threat is you know, you've got all these tools, these capabilities, but you can set yourself up a uh, misconfiguration uh, and and, uh, and allow attacker to get direct access to things that um, are, are critical to your your business and your infrastructure brilliant kevin let's let's probably close the, we have a tradition to close with uh, not doom and gloom but a little bit of a positive <laughs> message on, on the industry um, what would be your take on a positive close or a positive message? What, what have you seen? Have you seen us getting better? Have you seen more secure transformation? Have you seen the provider actually taking a more security stand approach instead of just purely, this is your tool, just use it? What's your security positive message? The positive message. The future is a positive message for me. Um, there are more tools, both coming from vendors and from and tools that are in the open open in these platforms that we've never had before that we can do incredible incredible threat removals with like we can really mm-hmm. manage risk i kind of call it um the the combination of like active uh active threat and the kind of the passive tools that exist. So you know, I can do things with passive tools like uh, view logs. Uh, I can now build AI off of those logs. So I can build machine learning that's actually you know, picking up and, and continuously learning off of what happens in those logs through that observability. Mm-hmm. And then you know, with, uh, with automation off of those trigger trigger responses in my active tools that that stop threats right so and and these things are constantly going and um you know i think of of the way aws itself runs its uh security team so really really um really really lean um because they're just writing lambdas like that's all they do (laughs) all the time is is write lambdas so you've got uh, the whole thing being secured by this observability um, and these lambda um, processes that pick up and, and execute when they need to. And then when something new comes about, 
they have someone or a group of people who are just writing for that. And as a result, they probably have, uh, you know, if you're a large enterprise, I promise you, you have more people on your security staff than, than AWS does, but they're probably doing a better job of protecting their uh, APIs than you are. <laughs> right. And, and I think it's, it's a matter of scale and attack, but yeah, no, I, I like the positive message on, on the automation on more tools to actually do security at scale uh, instead of doing yeah. things traditionally. And I think we have a different skill set from security professionals that are becoming more um, application security and coders than actually just the more a more engineering culture rather than yeah. point and clicky and apply policy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the future is very bright for especially if you if you enjoy learning and, and adopting new things. There's um, tremendous opportunity out there. And if, if one thing we anything we do know about this, you know, the reason why the whole cybersecurity thing exists, right? Like the attackers are out there. They're not sleeping either. They're yeah. They're using machine learning and AI to try to figure out how to get around your stuff as much as you're they putting your scale. stuff up. So. They need to scale as much as you we yeah, do. Exactly. <laughs> but it's a continuous learning opportunity. Kevin, thank you very much for coming on the show. My if pleasure. somebody want to uh, hear more of, of what you write, what you speak of, where they can find you? Um, they can usually find me on LinkedIn. Um, so LinkedIn... What am I? I am uh, Relevant Soft um, is the name of the URL key for me on LinkedIn. And um, yeah, just hit me up there. And most of my stuff gets published there in one shape, form or another. Brilliant. <laughs> Kevin Davis, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Everybody, stay secure out there. And if you don't know how to, just go out and learn how to do it and automate, 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 and scale. Yeah. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Thank you, Franklin. Bye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity Cloud Podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.